Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about emerging technologies and how agencies are using them to move from low value to high value work. My guest is Pam Wolf, the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division for NASA's Shared Services Office. We're starting to see a little growth in, if you will, across government, which is this idea of robotics process automation. Talk a little bit about how you guys are starting to use what we commonly refer to as RPA. RPA is, you know, getting a lot of interest and gaining a lot of ground in the federal government. We were kind of leading the pathway, trying to look for efficiencies and innovation ideas for the Shared Services Center to actually reduce costs and streamline some of our processes, you know, as we're all facing budget cuts going forward. So that was our initial interest in RPA, and the agency had an innovation kickstart contest that we uh, submitted a, a, an idea and received a pilot award of about $10,000 to look at implementing this and, and to complete a proof of concept. So we did the proof of concept where we looked at various software packages and we did a thorough assessment of those packages. We actually had support from high levels within the agency, within our chief information officers organization and as well as our chief financial officers organization. And they were both uh, highly supportive of going forward with this and helped us to overcome some of the roadblocks that we got as we were trying to implement. You know, credentialing for a robot employee is quite different than a human employee. And we had to explore, you know, what those needs were, what waivers we may have to put into place and what mitigations we may have to put into place. And the agency worked very closely with us, and the agency chief information security officer was an integral part of that. And he is actually working with OPM and DHS to develop a standard across the federal government for credentialing for these digital employees. So we've kind of set the precedence for that and and have been an integral part of how we get that developed as a standard across the government. All right. So one of the things about robotic process automation, and remind me, you guys have a pretty good name for your uh, quote-unquote robot, right? Our first robot is named Washington after George Washington, yes. And um, I, I remember I was at a conference maybe about a year ago when you guys were just getting this off the ground. And I don't know if you spoke or one of your colleagues spoke, and I remember them talking about you guys decided to name it after, the, the obviously, the founding father of, of the country. It was like the founding robot of NASA in, in some ways. Do, do I have that story right? That is exactly right. It's rather interesting. Once we had identified Washington, there were those that thought there wasn't a lot of diversity in the presidents of the nation. So we looked at what were our alternatives in naming the bots that would represent diversity. And we kept coming up with challenges in historical figures and those kind of things. So we actually went back and chose to, going forward, use NASA historical missions as the name of our bots. So we started out with Washington, and then our second bot was Adams. And now we have Pioneer and Beacon, which were the first two NASA missions, are our third and fourth bots. 
All right, very cool. Uh, you make more people happy by naming it not after a person, but probably after a mission. And it makes sense for NASA, exactly. right? So you yes. have now four bots. So before we get to what each of those bots are doing, talk a little bit about the process. As you said, the, the innovation, the Kickstarter campaign. What did you present this idea? Hey, if we could have a little bit of, of startup money, we think we could do this. What, what was that initial idea? So we actually had quite a few ideas that we thought could bring savings and a return to the organization. So we looked at, you know, actually 10 different ideas, and we explored the complexity, the maturity of the processes, how many system interfaces were involved, and what our potential return on investment would be. And based on that, we selected four of those 10 to do as our initial proof of concept to automate. They were not, you know, of a significant complexity. A couple of those we could get really quick wins with and, you know, learn lessons as we went on the way. And we could get things into production rather quickly to help show the capability of this automation. And what were those four initial proof of concepts? We had one within our agency financial uh, chief financial office, which had to do with doing funds distribution for the agency. We had one to do funds distribution at the center level or actually for our shared services center. We have one within the chief information officers organization that creates procurement requests for their organization. And then the last one was to create cases in our ServiceNow tool for human resource suitability. So all four of those projects were our first uh, proof of concept. All of them were, were developed pretty quickly. Um, user acceptance testing varied uh, based on the nature of the automation and the need for the process owner to have confidence in the in the way it was built out. So, so some user acceptance testing took one to two weeks, and others took a couple of months. Um, and and actually, that w took longer than actual development. So, we had lessons learned in there too, as in terms of having the process owner uh, commit or define the testing phase and what time frame they needed for us to do that in order for us to schedule and be able to plan our resources. So that was uh, really an integral part of the process. Also, these required some changes from the agency's perspective in how roles are assigned. So, for instance, for a robot to have a role to perform a function at the agency level, was a change in how NASA was structured. Typically, if you're assigned to a center, and the, the Shared Services Center is, for practical purposes, treated as a center, um, center processes require different roles than agency processes. So for a center, as our Shared Service Center, to require these agency processes required some waivers and some mitigations and working closely with our application office to work through how we were going to put that in place and establish what the um, requirements for identity would be going forward with our robots. They were very uh, aligned with trying to get this up and going. They were an integral part of that. You mentioned the identity piece a couple times. Let's talk a little bit about that. You said you had to get not just the roles and responsibilities piece and required some waivers and some mitigations, 
But er, er, early on in the conversation, you also talked about getting this idea of can the robot or the piece of software, how to get them on the system in, in many ways, how to, how to credential them. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys dealt with that challenge? That, you know, I will say was one of the biggest challenges to overcome, and there were a lot of people involved in it, but everyone wanted it to succeed, so we're willing to take whatever actions were necessary to make that happen. Basically, our digital employees, our robots, have the same credentialing as a human employee. So they have an agency user ID. They have a login and password. They have an encryption, and they can sign emails. They use the NASA account management system to gain access to different systems within the agency, just like a human. They can use VPN. They require a desktop or a laptop to perform their duties. They require their own software licenses, just like a human would. The one element that we had to overcome was the security training, which basically a human does not get access to these systems until they complete IT security training. A robot can't complete security training. So that was one of the major things we had to figure out how to overcome to allow the robot to get the identity and the access to the systems without doing that one hardened requirement prior to gaining access. So there was a lot involved in credentialing of our robots. I want to be clear because we're using the word robots and people think of robots and they think of some kind of machine with an arm and legs or, or head and sitting at a desk and doing work. What we're really talking about here is software on a system that's doing these, what I guess the administration has been calling low-value functions. Help me define what, when we say robot, what you mean. You're absolutely right. It is not a robot like R2-D2 running around. It is a software package. We do have several laptops that represent different bots. And to your point, terminology, robots, bots are kind of used interchangeably when you're talking about the software. But I've also found in industry that people talk about bots when they're really talking about automated processes. So we've done more than four automated processes. Our bots can perform multiple automations as long as the roles do not conflict with each other. We have the same segregation of duties with our robots that we have with our humans. We have to take a break. My guest is Pam Wolf, the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division for NASA's Shared Services Office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Pam Wolf, the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division for NASA's Shared Services Office. Let's talk a little bit about what those four different bots are doing. You mentioned Washington yes. Adams, Pioneer, Beacon. Let's talk about what each of those bots are doing. The four pilot projects that we mentioned are all in production and running successfully, and some have been for several months, others more recently. We've really focused more on internal automations while the agency tries to align some of the governance and some of their restructure of the governance within the agency. So we're focusing on internal automations. We've developed a process that takes images that come in to create a grants package, and it converts those, whatever format it comes in, it converts it to a PDF format. 
it creates a folder, it stores that, and it creates a case and assigns that to an individual so that when they come in, they don't have to do all of that work to to scan the document, to put it in the right format, to create the folder. They're ready to actually go to work to develop that grants package. So that is one of the automations that, you know, we get probably 75 of those in-house weekly. And so that's been an automation that saved a considerable amount of time for a a pretty mundane task that gives them the ability to focus on more analysis and more value-added work. Before you go to the next one, let me jump in. So before you implemented this this bot, somebody would have to sit there and get the package, make it into a PDF, and assign it to a a reviewer. That was all a manual process, or was some of it automated? That was a manual process, yes. The file would come in electronically, and then they would have to either print it or do some conversion of whatever format that file was to make it a PDF, and then to create that file and establish a so we use the ServiceNow tool as our, as our software management of all the services we provide at the NSSC. And this actually goes into that software tool and creates a case so that that is ready to be worked when the employee comes in. The case is already assigned to them, and they know what's in their queue, and they just start working those when they come in, rather than someone having to go through those 75 documents, create all those files, and assign them to different contracting officers within our grants section. So that saves, you said, a ton of times. Are you able to quantify yet? Is it saving you know, 30%, 80%, and is there a money quantification you're able to put to it yet? At this time, you know, we're looking at what is our savings in terms of, you know, employees' ability to do different work and more value-added work. Uh, Return on investment, you know, some of the processes that we're in the process of assessing have a large return on investment. So we've taken an approach to assessing the ideas that come in. We established a service request in our system, ServiceNow, where anyone can go in and submit an idea for automation. And then that idea gets reviewed by that division chief to say, yes, I agree, this is probably a good idea. Once it goes through that process, we do an assessment in terms of how mature is the process, how complex, how many systems are required, basically an assessment of what would it take to automate it and what kind of value do we see out of that automation in terms of cost savings or reduction in support requirements and those kind of things. So we use a model to evaluate and assess those ideas for automation. And then we also use that same format to prioritize the automations in terms of, you know, we're going to get a big win on this one, so so we want to do this because there's a lot of value, a lot of return on this one. But you also have to weigh that with, well, I can get a quick win. I can automate this one within a couple of days and, you know, put that one into production. So it's kind of a, you know, a game in terms of, you know, what takes priority. And so we've got these different lines of business that the uh, Shared Service Center 
provides. They do financial management, we do procurement, we do human resources, and some IT services. So within each of those lines of business, you know, what we're finding is that I may get a request from, say, Johnson Space Center that's similar to a request that I get from Langley Space Center. And so when we get that type of requests that are very similar from two different organizations, we want to escalate that up to our line of business sponsors for each of those lines of business at the agency level and let the agency person determine, is this a process that can be used across all centers? And therefore, I won't make it a center-specific process. I will make it an agency process. So all of this is built into our governance structure in terms of they have the opportunity to weigh in and help us prioritize what needs to be developed for the agency and for that line of business to get the best and the most value. Interesting, because I think what's key here is that you're just not just taking these as one-offs, but as you said, can if, if we have similar requests, as you said, from Johnson and Langley, and then all of a sudden Stennis comes in, and then all of a sudden other ones come in and you say, okay, can we, can we expand that? How many of those current ones of those four did you have that aha moment and go, oh, yeah, we, this could matter to the entire agency versus just the one center? The funds distribution process that we've done for the Shared Service Center as a center is one that we're looking to, to utilize across the agency for all centers. There is another uh, project that is, is in user acceptance testing. It's not in production right now, but it has to do with our time and attendance system. So on the morning that time cards are due, there's someone at each center that has to go in the system and run reports to determine who has not completed their time card and send emails, you know, to get them to complete those so they can do the payroll runs. We've got this automated where the bot will go in and run a report. It will automatically send emails to those individuals, and it will give you a response when that's been completed so that the timekeeper or the person running that process knows when it's ready to run. That is one that we developed for headquarters as a center, and we're going to roll it out across the agency, across all centers. So again, there are opportunities that may, or ideas presented by one that may benefit all of our 10 centers. And so we try to put a governance structure in place to evaluate and look at whether it would meet that need and have a larger benefit than just a particular center as we prioritize the automation. In many ways, that's the real win we're talking about here. Taking this you know, mundane manual processes and getting the bot to do it and then the person who, as you said, is in charge of that process, the timekeeper, they can work on their other work or their their other their other duties, and that can mean more high value work. Is that probably the biggest benefit that you guys are seeing from using these bots? That is one of the biggest benefits. Another benefit that I would say is that it reduces not the necessarily the need for IT developers, but it gives them the opportunity to focus on, you know, typically an IT development takes a long amount of time, you know, may take six months or longer, depending on the complexity of what you're trying to automate. You can get very quick wins with RPA. 
you know, you can automate within a, a, a few days, within a few weeks, or within a month, you know, using an agile development process, which then frees up your IT developer resources to focus on other things. So I think that is a huge win because the centers as a whole, you know, we all have a long list of IT development needs, and we can take some of those that are not so complex and use the automation software to go ahead and get those developed and automated and rolled out much more timely and much less expensive than the typical IT development. The software you guys decided to use was you guys looked at a bunch of different pieces of software, and you, one of them you settled on was UiPath. Can you talk about that process to, to, to come up with the, the best RPA software that made sense for NASA? We took a very methodical approach to that. We looked at the all the major software products out there doing RPA, and there were six of them that we looked at extensively. What we did was we developed six dimensions that we were going to assess each of these software packages. One was what was the licensing structure? What was the reliability of the vendor? What was the architecture of the product? What was the functionality that it offered? How difficult was it to develop in that? Uh, and what were the management, the auditing, auditing, and the control logs with each product? So we developed those dimensions and, and a way for each of our persons that we assigned to evaluate each of these software products. And then we had the assessment done by our enterprise architect, by our IT security officer. We used a couple of IT developers. We used a couple of internal resources that are, are well known for creating scripts and macros but are not defined as an IT developer. So we had all types of people assessing these software packages and scoring them on these different dimensions. And as a result of that, two of the products came in very close. And then we looked at the, you know, the dimensions themselves to say which one gives us more functionality as opposed to an issue with the licensing structure. And that's how we came to the conclusion to go with UiPath. The installation of the software went very smoothly. It was a pretty rigorous security assessment of the software, but we had no issues there. And we have had no issues with the product since we put it into the environment and started using it. So UiPath has worked very well for us. It's an object-based language. We've created an object library so that when we do a development, let's say your bot wants to go check an email, you know, once we develop that object, we store it in the library so that the next time you need to do an automation that requires to go check an email, we can pull that object out of our object library and not have to develop it every time we do an automation. So that's another way that we're gaining in terms of the time it takes to develop as we move forward. And that's really the key here is that you're going to have a lot of processes that are very similar. For instance, I can imagine the time and attendance maybe then would be PTO or sick leave where where right now this is just, our, you know, is Pam Wolf here today? How many hours did she work? Okay, now we can add a bot that says now when Pam writes she needs a, a, a sick day or needs vacation day, that can also automatically be processed as well. I mean, that, that's the, that's as you said, the real big key here is 
taking processes and re- making sure that reuse is easy. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you know, one thing I want to point out is that, you know, when we were doing, we did a lot of lunch and learn sessions internally to try to get the interest uh, within our internal organization as to, you know, excitement and get them looking at ideas and thinking about, you know, ways to innovate. But along with that, you know, employees have the perception that, well, if I if I do this, this is going to do away with my job. And so the, one of the things that we stressed up front was this is not initially to try to get rid of resources. This is to give you the opportunity to do a higher value-added task for you to learn to do something new, for you to be able to focus on analysis and not have to do the day-to-day, you know, I'm going to process 200 accounts payable transactions today, that kind of thing. So as a result of that, you know, we've really promoted innovation, and here at the Shared Services Center, we actually have started the year of innovation, and our contractor, our service provider, has given incentives to the workforce that if they come up with ideas for automation that result in cost savings, then they get, you know, I don't know if it's a percentage, but they get some type of award for recommending that idea. So to give you an indication at this point, I have 170 ideas in the queue to evaluate just internally within our shared services center. Wow, 107. That means people see the benefits. that You got the quick wins, you got people on board, and now they seem to be really jumping in. Did that surprise you that people have accepted the, the, this automation process so, so quickly? You know, it didn't surprise me. I, it was kind of expected, you know, when we had been to conferences, you know, learning about the intelligent automation and learning about the capabilities of the tool, we kept hearing from others that you would find that there were a lot of interest and a lot of growth in a short amount of time. And so we also had to plan for that. You know, we only have so many resources right now, but as we get ideas coming in from all the centers and our need for resources grows, how do we handle that surge capability? So we went out and contracted with a third-party vendor to support us through that surge support. So if we have a lot of automation ideas, then we can reach back to them and get a lot more developed in a shorter amount of time. And then if the need or the ideas starts to wane and, and gets reduced, then we don't have those resources as direct hires that we have to continue to pay for. So that's kind of the way we've set it up in terms of support and our ability to manage the volume of automation ideas. We have to take a break. My guest is Pam Wolf, the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division for NASA's Shared Services Office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Pam Wolf, the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division for NASA's Shared Services Office. Pam, you mentioned that the time and attendance is in user acceptance. You mentioned you have about 170 ideas in the queue. Over the next you know, six months or so, what do you hope to move from either user testing 
into production or move from idea into user testing. Can you give me a sense of what's high on your uh, radar list? We're doing a lot of outreach to our centers at this point to get to get them on board and to get the innovation champions at the centers understanding the capabilities of this and how we've got it set up. And, and so that, you know, the outreach is one of our strategies. But we're continually automating internally. So we've got three development or three automations occurring right now. We've got six in the queue ready to develop. We've got 60 that we have assessed the value and we need to prioritize. And then we've got the 170 ideas that we need to evaluate. So, and that is just internal to our shared services center. So as we grow this and and broaden it to offer this capability to the centers, this could get very large very quickly. And when we have done presentations to certain organizations like the chief financial officer, the financial management community sees a lot of potential for them to get a lot uh, a, a lot of automation out of of using um, RPA. And I will add to that that we had concerns that we had to work through in terms of internal controls and auditing capabilities. And we even went so far to meet with NASA's external audit team to make sure that we had things aligned so that when it came time to audit the agency, that this did not become a hindrance. We had our external audit team come to our Shared Services Center just last week to start the financial statement audit. And I met with them to lay out our structure with the bots and how we maintain the records. And they were very excited about the opportunities that this presents because you actually have more control. You have less opportunities for collusion. A a robot can't collude with another robot. A robot can only do what it is programmed to do. So you're able to eliminate a lot of those security issues. The quality is not going to change in a robot. They're going to do it consistently from time to time. The errors are going to be reduced because a robot can't transpose numbers and those kind of things. So we are seeing a lot of value, you know, from different aspects as we move forward. And have you had conversations more broadly outside of NASA? I know, again, I'm, again, and if it was you or somebody else from NASA, I know spoke a, a, around this robotics automation kind of recently, but are, are you meeting with CIO Council, the CFO Council, any of the above? Yes. There is a uh, financial working group that, that we're working through, you know, what is the governance for that particular group and using this automation. We're working with our chief information officer and, and all of the center CIOs to, to talk about innovation. We're supporting center events. I've got a Langley innovation event coming up here in a couple of weeks, so we're participating in those to get the interest up. And then we're also, you know, at, at the agency level, they see this as a, as a real opportunity to, to get our hands around a lot of the support functions to reduce the cost of doing the support functions so that we can focus more on the missions of the agency and really have the dollars supporting those missions 
as opposed to supporting those back office functions. Now, I know you mentioned that you're still looking at the ROI of this. Uh, was there an upfront cost or uh, something you can talk to around to get this set up? What was your upfront cost? Because somebody may say, listening to this, well, that's great. That works for NASA, but they're a shared service center. They have extra money. My agency, we don't have any extra money, so we can't do this. Can you alleviate maybe some of those concerns or some of that cynicism? The Shared Service Center doesn't get any direct appropriation funding. All of our funding comes directly from the centers based on the services we provide. So so there really wasn't funding available, you know, just available for any use. Like I mentioned, we entered the Innovation Kickstart Contest, and that gave us the you know, just the seed money, you know, of $10,000 to look at what our opportunities were. We invested about $150,000 between the developers, the workforce, and the product. So the product and the licensing is not that expensive. The orchestrator tool is about 20000 a year. And then the licensing is about 5000 per year per bot. So, you know, we've laid all that out. We had we had some organizations that wanted their own bots, you know. Well, I want to own Beacon, and I want him to only do my processes. And when we explained to them that that really is not the most efficient use of the bots, they kind of came off of that. Because to explain that, you know, the, the agency funds distribution process, if they wanted their own bot to do nothing but that process, they may only do that process six times a year, you know, when we have a continuing resolution or when we have, you know, a budget push. So it wouldn't be a good use of that robot to have it dedicated to that one process when it could be doing many processes. And it can work 24 hours and it can work 365 days a year. So so that alone, if you're able to schedule some of these processes to work outside the normal peak hours, then you've also gained additional wins in the ability to to be able to manage the functions and the processes that you're running on these uh, bots. What advice do you have for other agencies who maybe are starting to go down this path and look at whether bots make sense for them? It's definitely worth exploring other agencies. From a federal standpoint, there has been a federal robotics cognitive consortium that has been developed, and federal agencies have the opportunity to listen to the experiences of other federal agencies as they're trying to implement that. You know, we have different agencies that kind of present where they're at in their journey, and, and it's a forum to collaborate and to share information. And so I think as more agencies get involved and, and understand and and see that we've overcome some of the nuances with introducing a digital employee into the federal workforce, that you'll see more agencies start to adopt this, particularly when they see what kind of benefits they can achieve in a short amount of time. Pam Wolf, she's the Chief of the Enterprise Services Division at the NASA Shared Services Office. Pam, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. We have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this next segment of the show, we hear from the company that helped Pam Wolf and NASA use robotics process automation. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This is a special edition of Ask the CIO. We're talking about NASA and their Shared Services Center use of robotics process automation, RPA. For this part of the show, we're going to sit down with the company that's providing NASA with the software itself, UiPath. So Jonathan Paget, welcome to the program. You are the Vice President of Public Sector for UiPath. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So we just heard from Pam Wolf. She uh, explained in pretty good detail all the uses of this robotics process automation software. Very fascinating. Give me some a little bit of background. Uh, UiPath is providing the software. What is the software? How does it work? Uh, don't go into the bits and bytes, but, but give me a top-level idea of, of how the software works. Robotic process automation, or RPA, is still a relatively new technology and concept to the public sector. However, it is growing at a very, very fast and rapid rapid pace. The technology is uh, transformative uh, for public sector. We're seeing a tremendous amount of interest. The technology really allows, uh, frees up employees and constituents to find more time to do meaningful tasks, uh, deliver better services more efficiently, more cost-effectively to the constituencies and help agencies deliver better government. The idea behind this, and we talked about with Pam, is it's not a bunch of robots sitting at your desk typing. This is the software. Talk a little bit about how NASA is using the software in terms of, from from your perspective, from when, when UiPath goes in and works with NASA or any agency, how are you helping them use the software properly? I mean, what's this process, if you will? Some of the, uh, the, the cases where they're using uh, UiPath bots are automation uh, and the creation of uh, new personal cases and service now for new hire evaluations, automating uh, the funds distribution and processes at the agency level, business accounting, uh, process to pay or procure to pay, automating the uh, purchase requisition process of uh, IT equipment. So they're just in the beginning phases. One of the interesting things about NASA is they'll actually be providing it as a service to other NASA centers around the country, which I think is quite uh, intuitive and ingenious. Talk a little bit about how the software works. Help me understand what it does exactly. Sure. Well, the software work basically provides the ability to emulate a worker's tasks at their desk. So basically, RPA is software that interacts with other applications. So the software can be trained to do invoice processing. It can be trained to automate many of the mundane tasks, data entry, uh, invoice processing that uh, that workers are tasked with every day, freeing them up for uh, tasks and more meaningful work and deliver better services uh, to their employers. And when you say trained, there has to be a process. UiPath can't have every, code everybody's process. So you guys work with NASA. Sure. To so, break it down for me. Right. There's a variety of ways to deliver RPA bots. What we're finding is that uh, agencies are setting up uh, a robotic automation center, if you will, or a center of excellence, right? And from there, they can identify processes around their organization, which would best benefit being automated or being uh, automated by RPA. So with that said, there's there's really three components to our software package. There's the the, uh, the bots, and then there's the studio piece, which is really a screen scraping technology that allows you to mimic and capture what the worker does. So if they're interacting with CRM applications, groupware systems, document management systems, file systems across the enterprise, The software can help and augment and actually do many of those processes in the background. And then we have what's called the the bots. We offer an attended and an unattended bot, which allows for, say, the the attended bot 
stops and checks in with a worker and says, does this look okay? And then it'll continue. The worker can say yes, and it'll continue on with its task and uh, assist the worker in delivering you know, better work to their employers. And then we have unattended bots, which work in the back office type of uh, scenario. And then we have the third piece there is the orchestrator, which is like the manager of the bots. So that basically allows for the bots to do simultaneous things, you know, multiple bots to be working in the enterprise. Um, and we call that the orchestrator piece. Talk a little bit about NASA's sure. implementation. I know you said they're just getting started. You guys are putting the software on a machine that NASA owns, or NASA's putting the software, your software on the machine, and then the software kind of reaches into the, you know, interacts with the network to do its job, right, or the application, right? So basically, I mentioned the three components there. What NASA is delivering is, is bot services, renting time for a bot. So say another NASA center has invoice processing, they would like to automate that task for a day or for a certain period of time. They can rent a bot out of uh, the shared services group and perform that task. And then when they're done, they can check the bot back in. So you can scale up and scale down. And I think it's quite ingenious. So basically the shared services center manages the bots and delivery of the bots to the other centers around around NASA. Talk a little bit about the cost structure. Uh, is NASA paying by the bot? NASA paying by the license? How many licenses are in a bot? Talk a little bit about how, how the cost structure works. The cost structure is based on, on, on the bot. So there's the price for the orchestrator, which is the manager of the bots. And then there's a cost for the studio, which is screen scraping technology, which actually captures the workflow. That captures the process that you want to automate. And then we have the bots, and then the bots are priced individually based on unattended bot or uh, an attended bot. So if a NASA, they, they'll say we want 10 bots or we want 30 bots, is it a, or, or they can kind of like cloud computing, it's flexible. Today we want one, tomorrow we want five, and it's easy to turn them up and turn them down? Correct. So yes, it, yes, they can turn them up and turn them down. So are they paying per bot? So, so it's, that, it's a, it's a, they are. They are paying per bot, and it's a, a subscription-based model. That, they can scale up and scale down if they need to. Are there challenges for the implementation of these bots? Is it fairly straightforward? Talk a little bit about what NASA has been facing with the implementation. There's a lot of misnomers out there about what a bot can do, what it can't do. I think that the, the it's getting past any security concerns and proper implementation of the bot. So a lot of times we have partners that, that are experts in, you know, an enterprise automation roadmap uh, processes for an agency, and they're able to go in and help a government customer or a customer understand the best way to implement RPA within their, within their agency. This has been really helpful. I guess the last piece of it is talk a little bit about other agencies who maybe are using also UiPath for robotics process automation. And what are you seeing from them? How, what kind of benefits or what kind of trends are you seeing around uh, the use of RPA? You said it's becoming obviously very popular. You know, the recent article with uh, GSA uh, touting the early successes and early ROIs with, uh, with the API, you know, looking at tasks that originally took, you know, 15 or 30 minutes or more down to seconds. I think that's that's very exciting and promising. And that type of success really, really starts to add up when you start looking at expanding across the enterprise. I've seen uh, cases where the Postal Service is also starting to experience some very early success uh, in a similar fashion. All right, very good advice. I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Jonathan Paget. 
is the Vice President of Public Sector for UiPath. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Jason. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 